Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. This is the word of God. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was this evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thank you, Kimberly. Thanks, Clay. Um, Well, uh, a movie came out this last uh, Friday, just a couple days ago, called The Pope's Exorcist. I don't know if any of y'all saw that. Uh, I understand it to be based on an Italian priest named uh, Gabriele Amorth. Uh, It's not the first of its kind. In the 70s, there was that movie that came out, The Exorcist, that a lot of people are probably familiar with or might be, might have heard about it at least. Uh, The the plot, I haven't seen either of these. Uh, The the plot around these movies uh, usually have somebody who is demon-possessed and efforts are being made to cast them out. Uh, In my days, uh, I don't believe I've ever encountered anyone who was demon-possessed or where there was talk of a demon was in someone and that demon needed to be cast out. But I do see it often in the New Testament. And I'm, I'm very comfortable believing things that I see in the New Testament or in the Bible that I haven't maybe experienced in my own life personally. And I'm not under the assumption that just because there are people in the New Testament that were possessed by demons that I will see that happen in my life. Uh, just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't happen or that it couldn't happen one day. But whatever it is that we think about demons and demon possessions, uh, we need to have those ideas formed by the Scriptures and whatever we see in the movies, we probably should be a little bit slow uh, to, to, to believe or at least a, a bit cautious about those things. So, so today, uh, what I want to spend some time considering uh, what we usually call demons or what our passage refers to as evil spirits. Um, and again, I don't, I don't think we should uh, dismiss the reality of demons or evil spirits, uh, evil spirits as something irrelevant to us because we don't really see it or experience in our life. Um, and so anyway, I think it is something that will be relevant to us uh, that perhaps we haven't given much, much thought to. So two things I would like for us to consider today uh, is one, evil spirits exist. And two, God uses evil. So first, evil spirits exist. All right, look at verse 11 and 12 in, verse, uh, in chapter 19. Okay, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were being carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So God is doing extraordinary miracles through Paul, so much so that even items that touch his skin are being taken to the sick, and they're being healed, 
or to those who are possessed by demons and demons and or evil spirits are coming out of them. And what we have in this passage is a contrast. So and it's a contrast to these seven sons of Sceva. Look at verse 13 to 16. All right, verse 13. The itinerant Jewish exorcist undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, seven sons, uh, seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. Who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Doesn't go so well for the sons of Sceva. So the contrast, people take things that have just touched Paul's skin to the sick, they're healed, to those who have demons, the demons are, are cast out of them. And these seven guys, these seven sons of Sceva, this Jewish exorcist, have no such success. It actually goes quite poorly for them. You know, it's, it's funny to me, you know, in, in my lifetime, it was mostly high school and college that I was around fights. I think being a pastor, there's not a lot of, around, a lot of fist fights going on. But anyway, I remember and the funny thing about uh, high school or college fights is that there's always like a debate over who won. Because most of the time, it's not like a UFC cage match where there's like a winner. It's a, it, it gets kind of ugly for about you know, like a minute or two. And then people come in and break it up or, or something happens. And what always happens, there's a debate about who won. And everybody's saying they won or what, what happened or whatever. And this is especially true in football. Every football game I've been in or, or have seen where there was an actual fist fight that broke out during the game, whoever lost the game always says this. You've probably heard it before. We might have lost the game, but we won the fight. Because it's just kind of, it's not clear. Usually, like I said, a fight happens, it gets broken up, and it's not clear who won. Not the case with the seven sons of Sceva. So if you're ever in a fight and you run away wounded and naked, you lost. <laughs> There's no debate. And, and honestly, I think that's what the text is trying to make clear, is it was seven against one, and they lost. And it wasn't like, ah, you know, they got some good looks. It's like, no, no, they ran away wounded naked. And when that happens, you lose. And that's the point. The point being made here is a contrast that Paul, uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a piece of cloth that he probably used to wipe the sweat off his forehead. Somebody got that, took it to someone who was sick. They got healed or had a demon. That demon got cast out. And it wasn't like, that's was because God was with Paul. But with the seven sons of Sceva, it's seven against one and they lose. And instead of these seven guys casting the demon out, they get cast out. God is with Paul and he's working through Paul and God is not with these seven sons of Sceva. And, and, I, and I would say, it's not really clear in the passage, but I would say Sceva and his sons are not legit. There is no record of a high priest, uh, of a Jewish high priest named Sceva. Uh, and they were probably into magic. We read later on that this, this community was really into the magic arts. Uh, they had all this literature around it. They were probably syncretists, and what that, that word means is they were syncing different things together. So they were taking a little bit of, of Jewish stuff. They were taking uh, a little bit of the, maybe the magic arts that were going on. And, uh, and then they hey, had this guy, Jesus, that Paul's talking about. That seems to be effective. Let's throw Jesus in the mix, too, and see if, see if we can make that uh, effective for us. So, so these, these sons of Sceva were probably like what people call uh, the, the snake oil salesmen. So these are kind of the old-timey people that would come to town with the snake oil. And, hey, if you drink this, you know, whatever disease you have, you'll be, you'll be better off. You'll be in good shape. And so they weren't the, the real deal. They, they, were, they were frauds. They were fakes. 
And so that's what it seems like these seven sons of Sceva were. They were not the, the real deal. They were fake. They were frauds. They were not ready to engage real evil. But one thing we should take from this is that evil spirits are real and evil spirits are out to harm people. So like I said, I want to spend some time talking today about evil spirits or we might call demons. Uh, So a few questions I want to consider. What are they? Evil spirits, demons. Where do they come from? Can a Christian be possessed by evil spirits or demons? And what do evil spirits do? So first, what are evil spirits or what are demons? Uh, the theologian Wayne Grudem gives a helpful answer to this. Uh, he says, demons are evil angels who sinned against God and who now continually work evil in the world. Now, with that said, you also need to know that God did not create evil angels. He is not the author of evil or sin. So where do these evil angels come from? Well, going back to Wayne Grudem, he would say, uh, that, that evil angels, demons, came to be sometime between Genesis 1.31, after God created everything and said that it was good, and Genesis 3.1, where we see Satan entered the scene in the Garden of Eden. And he would say sometime between Genesis 1.31 and Genesis 3, there is a rebellion in the angelic world. And, and, and many angels turned against God and became evil. And we read about the angels sinning in two places. You don't have to turn them, just read it real quick. In 2 Peter 2, 4, we read this. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. So talking about casting these evil angels out when they sinned. And then Jude 1, 6 says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So there are two kinds of angels. There's good angels that serve God and his people. And there's evil angels or demons or evil spirits. It's all the, all the same thing. And, and, and one question that, that might be on your mind, especially these movies that come out about demon possession, is can Christians be possessed by demons? Is that something that Christians can experience? Well, it has been argued, and I would agree, that Christians cannot be possessed by demons. And I think there's at least two scriptures to back that up. One would be Romans 6.14. It says that sin cannot have dominion over Christians. So therefore, Christians cannot be overtaken by an evil spirit where we lose our will and freedom. We cannot lose our freedom or or the exercise of our will by a demonic takeover. That doesn't happen to Christians. We see something similar in 1 John 5, 18 and 19. It says this, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. It goes on to say, and we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So there is a level of protection that believers have against the evil one that non-Christians do not have, because the rest of the world lies under the power of the evil one. So... On this planet, the people that exist, there's two categories. There's believers and unbelievers. Believers, those are the ones that the evil one does not touch. And unbelievers are under the power of the evil one. So so in the world, you don't just have Christians and non-Christians. You have those who are protected by God from the evil one and those under the power of the evil one. And and, and one other thing to to note, what's more common in the Scripture 
and in our lives is probably the influence of evil spirits or demons, the, the kind of influence that affects both believers and unbelievers. And it's, it's more likely to be experienced that influence than a person being possessed by a demon or an evil spirit. And it's one of the reasons that Christians uh, are often, in the scriptures, often warned against worldliness, because the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. So, so if the world, as we know it, was, was a river, there, there's a current, and that current is going in the direction of the evil one. That, that's where things just kind of go. And, and sometimes that seems obvious. You know, there's evil things that happen. I mean, you have to watch the news for just a little bit or just keep, get your head out of the sand for a second, and you can see some very evil things going on. Some things are clear, some things not so much. And I would imagine that most of the things that are hitting us are less clear and probably not really recognizable to be something that is from evil spirits or has a demonic influence. Um, you know, uh, one book I would recommend uh, to, to read if, if this kind of idea intrigues you or you haven't thought about it much, uh, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's a book where uh, Screwtape is writing letters. There's a, I should put it this way. Uh, there's an uncle demon and a nephew demon. And this uncle demon is a mentor to this nephew demon. And he's writing him letters uh, about how to tempt uh, and manipulate and, and mess up his, this, this human that the nephew is trying to, to tempt and, and do stuff to. And so anyway, it's just, uh, I found it helpful. And it's interesting, as you read things that uh, the uncle is writing the, the nephew of how to manipulate his human, I feel like some of the thoughts that he's trying to put in, in his mind are things that I've thought before too. So anyway, I think it'll just help you uh, to have that idea of your mind of that evil influence that is in our culture uh, or is in the world. But as we think about evil spirits, uh, another question we might have is what are these evil spirits, evil angels, demons? What is it that they actually do? Well, I think one thing you could say with some measure of confidence is that they're out to destroy the work of God. So in the beginning, Satan tried successfully to lure Eve away from God. And and he he was trying to tell her uh, that God was withholding from her. If you remember that story in Genesis 3. And that life would be a lot better if she played by her own rules. So he kind of set this table. I think God's withholding from you. And I think life would be better over here where you're not under his thumb. And she bought it. And look, here's one thing to consider. Whenever you think God is withholding from you, God has given you a bad deal. Take a step back. You're vulnerable. This is where evil spirits, the demonic works. God is withholding from me. He's not giving me a fair deal. At that point, when that thought gets in your mind, be careful. You are very vulnerable to the schemes of the evil one. But whatever God has done or is doing, the evil angels are out to destroy. Jesus said in John 10, 10, So the thief comes only still kill and destroy. I can have life and have it abundantly. I think that would apply to the evil angels, the evil spirits. So they're out to steal, kill, destroy. And Jesus says, I can have, have life and have it abundantly. Now, in Job, we read about Satan as well. And, and, and one thing, side note, one thing you need to know about Satan is that he's not God's equal opposite nemesis. Satan is just another angel. Satan, Satan's opposite isn't God. 
His opposite would be more like the angel Michael or the angel Gabriel. So it's not like there's God and Satan, there's good and evil, equal powers kind of duking it out. No, there's God and then there's angels. Uh, and certainly Satan is one of the higher up angels, but he is not on equal footing with God. And he actually works under the authority of God. So in the book of Job, Satan is standing before God with the other angels. And God asked Satan if he's noticed Job, because Job's a really good guy. And, and Satan argues that Job is only good, a good guy because God has given him so much. And he says that Job does not love God. He loves the life that God has given him. And if he didn't have that life, that things would be different. And so shockingly, shockingly, God lets Satan go after Job. God allows Satan to go on a mission to prove what is at the core of Job's heart. Is it love for God or does he just love the life that God's given him? So what Satan is after in this mission is to rob God of honor and glory. Job does not honor God for being God. Job is being paid off to honor God. It's the good life that he sold on. So Satan opposes the honor and glory of God. And that's what's at the heart of the book of Job. And, and while we probably won't experience all that Job did, we will all have our turn at misery. And the question will be for us in that day, do we love God because he's God? Or does God need to pay us off with a good life to love him? When life is unkind to us, there is something going on at a deeper level. Will we remain faithful to God? Well, well that could be. When, when, when life is at its worst, that could be our finest moment as Christians where we know that we do love God because He's God, not just for the life He can give us. Faithful in the midst of our world falling apart. Now, another thing to consider. Um, in those moments, angels are watching. And for us as believers, we have angels watching us, rooting for us. And there's even evil angels that are watching us, rooting against us. And, and, and God, in, in, the, in, a, in a way that we can't see, God is putting on a show for the angels. The good angels and evil angels are looking on. Some are rooting and working for our good. Others are rooting and working for our bad. And Paul even spoke about this in Ephesians 3. You can turn there if you like. But in Ephesians 3, Paul gives somewhat of a, of a job description of what he's doing. And, and, and he, he, he points it towards this idea that God is putting on this show for the angels. So in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, we read this. So verse 8 in Ephesians 3. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So when Paul refers to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, he's talking about the angels. So, so Paul is doing what he's doing. He's sharing the gospel. He's preaching about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And for what purpose? Well, look at verse 10. So that through the church... 
the manifold wisdom of God. So he's doing there's something with the church. Is, is it gonna, something about God is going to be made known. And the angels will see it and they'll glorify God. So angels are real. Some are good. Some are evil. And they are watching and working either for us or against us. And they're active in your life. And they're active in my life. Ephesians 6, 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's more going on than we can see. Evil spirits are the reason that you have some troubles in your life. It does not mean it's the reason you have all this. It's not the problem with everything. Don't, the takeaway from this sermon isn't blame everything on the evil angels. It was them, not me. That, that's not what we should take. But your sin will certainly make you more vulnerable to their work and put you in rhythm with them. It has happened, it is happening, and it will happen. Therefore, we should heed Peter's warning in 1 Peter 5. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, Seeking someone to devour. Don't think the evil spirit's fingerprints aren't on you. But lest you be overwhelmed by this or even maybe a bit scared, remember what Martin Luther said. Even the devil is God's devil. Meaning the devil, Satan, demons, evil spirits, they are under authority. They are under God's authority. They're on a leash And they can only go so far as God's purposes will allow. Which brings me to my second point, which I'm going to be brief on my second point. But my second point is this. God uses evil. All right, go back to Acts 19, and we're going to look at verse 17 through 20. So Acts 19, 17 to 20. All right, verse 17 says this. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them uh, and found it it came out to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, if you didn't know, let's say that was the text for today that the only thing we read was was verse 17 to 20. You wouldn't expect the the, the backdrop. Because in verse 17 to 20, we read this. The name of Jesus was extolled. Many who were believers came and confessed their sins. They, They burned the magic arts books as a sign of repentance. And the word of God continued to increase and prevail mightily. And so if you didn't know what came before that, you might think, I bet it was an awesome sermon. I bet Paul just really laid it out there for him. And that's not what happened. You know what it was? It was seven dudes getting beat naked. That's what happened. Isn't that crazy? But what it did was it served as a contrast to what God was doing through Paul. And it showed that there really is another realm at work in the world. And that other, that other power is something wicked and, and quite powerful. And when they see something so wicked and so powerful, they can only run run to the one who is sovereign over them, who rules all evil angels by his word. That when our God rises up, they must flee. If he says so, they go. 
So what we learn here is that our God uses evil to accomplish his purposes. He loosened the leash on, his, on those evil spirits on the seven sons of Sceva only as far as he needed his purposes to go, and his purposes were accomplished through what happened. But our God uses evil to accomplish his, pers- his purposes. He's not the author of evil, but he uses evil to accomplish his purposes. Think about Joseph in Genesis, the, 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 the story where his brothers sell him into, into slavery. One crazy thing to think about, the patriarchs of our faith, the patriarchs of Israel, human traffickers, they sold their brother into slavery. Eventually, uh, uh, they end up in, uh, Joseph ends up in Egypt. Y'all know the story. There's a famine. And Joseph's brothers would have died, but their brother Joseph was in Egypt. And so God used the evil of Joseph's brothers committing human trafficking to save Joseph's brothers. So you could almost say, and this is a clumsy way to say it, obviously, but you could almost say what saved Joseph's brothers was the evil that they committed. And what about the death of Jesus? Now, in a sense, you could blame Judas for the death of Jesus. In Luke 22, 3, just before Judas betrayed Jesus, we read that Satan entered Judas. But aren't you so glad that Satan entered Judas? And that Judas betrayed Jesus? I recognize that's an odd way to put it. But that work of Satan having Judas betray Jesus set us up to have all of our sins atoned for on the cross. So while we should know that there is evil in the world and that it is active, and while it is harming us and those we love, we need not despair as if evil is not on a leash. Even with Job, Satan could only go as far as God would allow. And with us, Evil can only go as far as God will allow. And if God does allow it in my life and in your life, we can assume what Romans 8, 28 teaches us, that somehow that evil is working for our good, like Joseph's brothers. And if we knew what God knew about the evil in our life, crazy thought, we'd allow it too. So today... Let's remember there's more going on than our eyes can see. And let that move us to fear our sin that cooperates with evil. And may we also feel the comfort and security that the devil is God's devil. And he can only go as far as God's good purposes will allow. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are to call on your name, the name above all names, the name in which these evil spirits uh, must obey. And so, uh, Father, we come to you now as your children who are vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one. Uh, Help us to be wise in how we live. Help us to fear sin as we should. Help us to cling to you. Help us to not be deceived by the evil one and by the evil that lives within us, our own sin. And so, Lord, would you keep us close to you, fully confident, and our Father looking over us. In Jesus, in your name that we pray. Amen.